0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Sound of the Kootenays. I'm Al Woodman, and I think I have a great show again for you this time around. I'm going to have a conversation with Alison Gervan.
1: Somehow the arts provide a template for how to be a beautiful human being.
0: She's known to many as the director of multiple youth choirs here in Nelson, including Corazon, Laline, Solstice, and Voix Vive. She's also been very involved in the musical theater scene and is a recording artist of her own. I'm also going to talk to Tyler James. He's a member of Allison's Corazon Choir and following in her footsteps, is moving into directing a young children's choir of his own and getting more and more involved in the musical theater scene in the area. And of course, I've got some great new music to play for you. But before we get to music, I just want to say a big thank you. After my last episode featuring Justin Hines, listeners turned up in some of the most remote places that I never would have expected. So if you're listening in Asia, or South Africa, or across the United States, or across Europe, I'd like to say hello and welcome, and thank you again for tuning into Sound of the Kootenays. If you've got any feedback about the show, I would love to hear it. You can contact me through the Facebook page. That's at Sound of the Kootenays Podcast. You can also come to my website, alwoodman.com. So with all that said, I think it's time we get this show on the road. I'm going to kick things off with a brand new release by Cam Penner. Cam is a singer-songwriter who came to the Kootenays from Calgary, Alberta about eight years ago right around the same time my family and I moved here. I'd been a fan of Cam's music when I lived in Calgary, and when I heard that he was moving out here, I was excited to hopefully get to see a lot more of him and his music. For the past few years, Cam has been teamed up with guitarist and singer John Wood. Cam describes John as a guitar wizard, and after seeing them play live, I understand why. His guitar playing is fantastic, and it accompanies Cam's music Perfectly. Right now, Cam and John are on tour in the UK, sharing their new music and old music with their friends and fans there. And when they get back, Cam has agreed to sit down with me in the new year, and we'll record an interview and uh, hear all about his story. The song I'm going to play for you is called Over and Over, and Cam's released a video for the song. And on the video, he says, I like this song. It was one of those ones that came to me quick one night, a gift from the unknown. Or The Known From his brand new album At War With Reason This is Cam Penner And Over and Over
2: This is the start Something new Every morning I say it It's a daily reminder Take a breath Slow it down Sometimes it hits you harder Like you never expected The way of it all of the night's desire and the constant affection over and over so long I can barely remember the time and the place had slipped from my grasp to a bitter reminder winter's cold and lonely embrace oh I'm here next it's hits you harder than you ever expected The weight of it all Of the night's desires The constant affection
0: This next track is put together by A producer that goes by the name of Moves. This song is called Twelve Grains of Pleasure. that's music by moves that's m-o-o-v-e-s you can find more music from him on soundcloud simply search for moves well it's closing in on winter which means that the semi-annual debate over daylight savings has come and gone ...and that a new season of the Ellison's Cafe acoustic unplugged sessions is back in full swing. Every Saturday from 1 until 3 at Ellison's Market in Nelson... ...you'll see two great hand-picked acts performed totally unplugged. From folk to jazz to blues and bluegrass and country... ...it's always worth stopping by and sitting down for a while. If you'd like to see who's coming up at the Ellison's Market... ...or check out some video of past performances... You can go to their Facebook page. That's the Ellison's Cafe Acoustic Unplugged Sessions. Also, live music will now be featured every Saturday at the Evergreen Natural Foods in Crescent Valley. That's featuring local acoustic performances as well, and those will run from noon until 3 p.m. There's one other series I'd like to mention, and that's in Roseland. It's put on by the Roseland Arts Council, and it's called the Joe Hill Coffee House, and it happens on the third Sunday of every month. It features local musicians in a safe and supportive showcase where they can perform a few songs. For more info, you can check out the Rosland Arts Council website at roslandartscouncil.com or Google Joe Hill Coffee House. That is the beautiful voice of Alison Gervan. I had a chance to sit down with Allison and learn a little bit, well, learn a lot more about how she came to be where she is now and what her experience in the music industry has taught her. She talks candidly about finding and defining her voice, about pushing her comfort zones and about learning how to define success in the creative arts we were also joined by her dog, Sherman, who, at points during the interview, you'll hear in the background, is trying to remind Allison that, yes, indeed, it is time to go for a walk today. So I'd like to thank Sherman for his patience in letting us conduct this interview. Thank you so much for allowing me to come into your home, and uh and chat with you and get to know you a little bit.
1: My pleasure.
0: Thanks. Um, So one of the things that I noticed on your website, the first thing that struck me was that it says conductor, educator, and singer. Um, Are those just in alphabetical order, or do you think of those in any particular order as you associate yourself with music?
1: That's a good question. I think probably if they were um, in the order of what I would consider myself... Um, there would be an extra one <laughs> added in there and that would be learner and that would be the the first thing and then educator after that so I think that um, probably the way that I hope to approach most things in my life is as somebody who's curious and wants to keep learning um, and I think that probably a huge part of the educator side of me is, is just a curious person and uh, you know trying to trying to do my best to share what I've learned so far in my life with people who are around me and maybe less experienced. Um, So probably educator, um, conductor, and that word conductor always I find provocative because I think people's impression of what that would be is somebody who stands up in front of a group and dictates, and um, the way I try to look at that word is mostly like an electric reference where you are... um, something through which something flows so that the the idea of conducting energy Mm. um and receiving that and then just redirecting it is the way i kind of perceive conductorship um and then the singing uh, i suppose would probably be last so educator conductor singer if there were going to be an order that were significant
0: right Um, I, I thought that that was, uh, you said that there was, you know, things that you would add to that. As I was looking at it, I I realized that, uh, mentor, Mm -hmm. uh, ambassador, um, director, Mm -hmm. uh, is another capacity that I've, I've seen you in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of artistic facets to you. And I I would like to talk about lots of them as I was, you know, kind of going through and making questions and coming up with ideas last night. Uh, I was like, this is like a three part series (laughs) 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 talk about all these things, Let's go back to sort of the beginning. What's your earliest um, musical influences and what what turned you on to music?
1: I think my very earliest musical influence uh, was and remains my family. When I was growing up, we would drive into town. We lived out of town and my parents were both teachers. Um, and it was a 30-minute drive each morning uh, and back home again at night. And our family would sing in the car And um, so my earliest recollections of singing would have been in the car on the way to Prince George from Red Rock, which is where I grew up. And the roles that we assumed in our family were that my mother and my sister would sing the melody and my dad and I would uh, figure out harmonies for the songs that we sang. So um, I think my father is probably uh, the biggest influence on me musically, as well as... mm, Most any other way, I think. My my dad was pretty influential in my my growing up. Right. Um, So I think that my family is probably the biggest early influence on my music. And then um, I didn't do much apart from being with my family through my whole uh, high school tenure. I was uh, a clarinet major and... Sports were the main focus of my life through high school. Hmm. Um, Clarinet major in university. So I I started clarinet in high school and then realized that maybe sports wasn't the way to go after high school and thought, well, I kind of like music. um, And I play clarinet, so let's just audition for clarinet at university and see what happens. And as it turns out, UVic must have been very desperate for clarinet players (laughs) that's the year Mm -hmm. I auditioned. And I got in for clarinet and then switched to voice by the end of my first year.
0: Hmm. Was there something that came up that made you switch to voice?
1: Well, uh, I think that clarinet was a vehicle to get me through the door and um it certainly wasn't a huge love of mine clarinet playing i I loved music, um, but I also had had braces when I was in high school, and I had this little retaining wire at the back of my teeth and when I practiced clarinet, um, it became dislodged from the cement and would you know cause some problems that way so I thought you know what I just don't love clarinet enough to be fiddling around with this other stuff and uh, and I really love singing so I wonder what would happen if I tried doing that Mm -hmm. so that's what I did
0: and you so that was switching over to a voice major a voice
1: major okay which also wasn't a great fit because it was a classical music program and um, and you know looking back now I think that that was maybe not the right place for me in some ways although I ended up singing classically professionally after university for uh five years so <laughs> in a way i wouldn't have ended up where i did um after university but it took me i think a long time to find my way back to who i really was after after that so i wouldn't have traded it for anything but it was a circuitous route back mm. to back to who i was i think
0: right and when you say who i was who who is that
1: i am. Um, well uh certainly not somebody who's happy to remain in the confines of classical music regulations basically mm. um, and that caused a lot of anxiety for me vocally because there was a feeling that uh, that there was a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things and that was abundantly clear as I went through the program um, there were right down to the fact that there are right places to breathe um, that historically have been done in that piece of music for a time immemorial, and if you breathe somewhere else, it's it's wrong. Um, there's a quality of sound that you need to achieve that uh, um, that is pretty pretty standard, and there are you know uh, ways to bring your own individuality to that sound, but um, generally speaking, you're you're going for a, a quality of sound that's that standard, and um, and it took me. A while to find other ways of expressing myself through other styles of music that felt like it gave me the permission to be an individual.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and, I, and I certainly think that my heritage played a little bit into that as well. Um, my father's Jamaican, and uh, growing up, I struggled with um, with my identity because of that in Prince George in the seventies and feeling somehow that that was the thing that singled me out and caused me uh, perhaps more than a small amount of um, shame and, and open myself up to some ridicule because people just didn't know any better and were uh, unaccustomed to people that were not from a European background mm-hmm. in Prince George at that time. And um and so I was acutely aware of my differences right through university and so again the classical music felt like I wasn't quite sure how I as a person fit into that box um, so it did take it took me a while regardless of the music to figure out how I wanted to move on this planet um, and the classical music thing um, you know was not was not a box which I was comfortable occupying I felt uh, oftentimes, like um, I didn't measure up, and that was something that was familiar from growing up. So it was a it was a probably a uh, a way of being that was mm, I want to say I guess habitual. The feeling that somehow it was a familiar feeling anyway, and so in a way it was it was um, familiar enough that it felt like who I was. But I I needed to learn how to get out of that groove and figure out another way of being.
0: Right, right. So when you're you're finding your way out of classical music, um, what sort of styles did you gravitate towards?
1: Well, interestingly enough, the, the road out for me was um, an Irish tenor named John McDermott who heard me singing in the context of a concert that we shared where he was the soloist. And so it was one of those moments where we were singing something which was out of out of our genre and doing Irish and Scottish Celtic music. And um, that's something that my voice has always been if I found it easy to sing that uh, that music. So that was the out for me. He heard me sing and then he was singing a um, was recording a CD and asked if I would fly to Toronto a couple of months later and uh, sing on his CD that he was doing. And so, again, it was interesting because my way out of the classical um, genre was into another uh, style of music where even though my voice was well-suited to it, I felt like a pretender because my background, although Gervin is a Scottish name and there's huge Scottish ties, I, again, identified with the fact that I was um, somebody that people would look at and say, well, where's your family from? What, what is your ethnicity? Right. Um, and so I felt a little bit awkward singing uh, the broom of the Cowden was, as a curly-headed half Jamaican <laughs> girl on stage. So um, so it provided a, a forum for my voice that felt more authentic vocally. I was still struggling with the auth- authenticity of, of who I was as a person in the context of Celtic music.
0: Mm -hmm. So there's, um, there's more than just singing um, and, and more than maybe just music uh, in, in your life and in your creative career. Uh, You've been involved with a lot of theater as well. Mm -hmm. How far back does that go?
1: Uh, I think the first, well, 22 years, I guess, when we moved here from Vancouver, um, Don, my husband was, meant to be the music director of the Capital Summers um, Youth Program, the musical that they were doing, which was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat that year. And we were living in Vancouver. So he was going to come up for the summer and do that job and then come back. And that spring, he heard about a sabbatical position at the college in the music department that was sort of made for him. It was somebody that was able to teach composition and somebody that was able to teach saxophone. And coincidentally, he could do both of those things rather well. And um, so he took the job filling in for a year for somebody who was away on sabbatical. And knowing that he had to prepare, he, he said that, you know, maybe it wasn't such a grand idea for him to be um, directing the Summer Youth Musical at the same time, and so suggested to Margaret Stacy, who was the manager at the time of at the theater, that um, that his wife do the job instead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Jeff Burns was the director at the time, and I think that the way it kind of went to him was Mark saying to him, "Well, the music director we hired can't do it, but his wife can." So it was always kind of one of those things that made I think his brow furrow and think, "Well, geez, I hope she knows what she's doing." (laughs) Um, And as it turns out, Jeff and I. Uh, worked really well together from the get-go and um, i still think that a lot of how i am as an educator a lot of what i learned um, about how to be a beautiful educator was from jeff burns Mm -hmm. Um, and so he and i directed together as much as we could over the course of the past 22 years and this summer was the last show that we did together and so it was rather significant for us
0: right yeah Yeah, and the show was great also Mm, the hunchback yes it
1: was a a lot of fun to do yeah Yeah.
3: morning Paris a new day appears sing the bells of Notre Dame and the tale of your poor balladeers and the bells no Dame
0: There's also, uh, on your website, there's listed uh, some onstage uh, acting performances as well. Mm -hmm. Is that that something that you gravitate towards? Or is that sort of, that was a phase and that's not something you're interested in so much?
1: You know, uh, it's not something, I I don't think I'm neither, I neither gravitate toward it, nor was it a phase. It just sort of presented itself. uh, And when it did and it felt resonant, then I embraced it because i certainly have a lot to learn about being on stage i'm um historically have known myself to be a a bit of a nervous performer so anytime that i could do something that felt like it was um something i could learn from my my dog's going crazy right now and attacking his bed
0: tearing the place (laughs) apart
1: yeah, we'll clean that up later. Uh, yeah. So anytime that I felt like I could learn from an environment that um, was pushing my own boundaries, I tried to step into that. Uh, and so certainly I think the theatric things that I've done have been moments of understanding my limitations and trying to push up against those those boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you also, you direct choirs mm-hmm. in, in Nelson. Mm-hmm. How many choirs are there that you're at the at the forefront of?
1: Well, I think there are. Let's see, one, two, three. Four. There are four, uh, and then my colleague Kathleen directs the youngest in the program. So the program starts from seven years old, and the oldest singers are in their mid twenties. Um, so there are five groups in that in that family of choirs. Um, yeah, and it was one of the the things where it started as two groups. It started with Corazon and a younger choir of children Uh, but as the programs grew it became obvious that there was a need to create more groups for people to feel like they were finding what they needed in those groups.
0: Is there still a sustained interest? Is there lots of people that are still trying to, to find those and get into those?
1: Yes, it seems that there is. You know, it, these things tend to be cyclical. So um, as an interested observer, uh, each year I, I wonder how those cycles will play out. But so far, um, it's grown. It seems to be a stable now. I added a new group. This is the second year of uh, a group solstice, which is acquired for ages 13 and up, and um, and the reason I added that one was because Corazon, the group that's fifteen and up now, was uh, was a younger age at the bottom, but I couldn't I couldn't make space for everybody that was coming to audition. And usually it was the fourteen year old girls that were. Um, being told that they needed to come back the next year because the the priority were always the older children, and it was breaking my heart that these girls would come and have beautiful voices and be ready to have this experience and be turned away because the group just couldn't hold any more singers so um so solstice became a place for them to to explore you know their changing voice. Um, I think that it's it's common knowledge that boys' voices change, but uh, girls do as well and it's a vulnerable time so uh, it felt nice to have some place that they could come to sing that was meeting a bit more of what their needs were at that time instead of being incorporated into a group that had from ages 14 to age 25 in there so that group now feels like it's well on its way to being a stable thing and the other groups are, are kind of holding at the member levels that have been there for several years now um I, I guess I'm still waiting for that moment where the cycle switches and um, and and registration goes down, but at this point, it seems pretty pretty predictable from year to year. Right. Yeah.
0: And it does, as you said, uh, Kathleen heads up the, the younger choirs. That's right. What's the age group that the choirs are actually starting at now?
1: Well, uh, seven, her group is from seven to nine, but uh, one of my oldest, dearest singers that has not moved away from Corazon, Tyler, um, who now has taken uh, the next step into directing himself and leading singers young singers is um facilitating a group of four to six year olds so it's really sweet he does it sort of as a family uh, a family ensemble where a parent comes and sings with them and um so there's there's now there are now singers from four to six year olds four to six years old mm. and then kathleen's group from seven to nine years old
0: right yeah it's always so nice to come and see especially the younger ones um, getting up in front of groups of people and mm-hmm. friends and family and, and singing like that. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of people that have come through Corazon and, and moved on mm-hmm. to other things. Mm-hmm. Um, how many years now with Corazon?
1: I believe this is the 18th or 19th year. Hmm. I, I'm really bad with, um, with that kind of recollection, so I, I'm saying, I think it's 19, but it, it may be 18. Right. Yeah.
0: And people have moved on uh, to bigger and better things or have moved on entirely from away from music, I'm sure?
1: Yes, both. I yeah. mean, some people have moved on to um, careers in the arts. Some of them have moved on to jobs as actors, um, singers. And some people have moved on in ways that are completely um, not arts-related. And I think that the beautiful thing about... Um, Engaging in the arts as young people is that it stays with you no matter what, and so this has shaped who they are. That feeling of community, that feeling of collaboration, has then set them up for um, whatever whatever they're doing in the, in their lives that are maybe unarts related, which is a really beautiful thing that the arts can do for for everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I hear that in your story of of how. Going, coming through music has kind of opened you up to opportunities where you wanted to push yourself and mm-hmm. find more comfort. Um, in what other ways has singing and, and being a musician um, provided growth in your life?
1: I, I can't think of a time when it hasn't. And again, I think the thing with singing and arts is that it's a metaphor for just about everything else. Um, somehow the arts provide a template for how to be beautiful human being
0: i agree mm-hmm. i think I've, I've felt that in my own life that um music has been so important to me it's it's really how i identify mm-hmm. um whether i'm working in a capacity as a musician or not uh it's it's given me the confidence to get in front of people mm-hmm. um and speak or perform um it's opened up conversations with people that i maybe never would have been able to relate to music has been instrumental in my development Mm -hmm. um and coming from you know small town alberta and you know maybe being shy or uh you Mm -hmm. know that that creative kid you know sort of thing and and finding that hey once i once once we started a band Mm -hmm. the entire dynamic of of my social self changed
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and i'm I'm super grateful for that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah tell me about some of your proudest moments of being a musician hmm. long story i guess
1: <laughs> yeah depending on what the personal criteria is that that is such a different response um, the thing that pops into my mind as one of my proudest moments was uh, um, a group environment i was hired back with the choir that I sang with professionally when I lived in Vancouver, the Vancouver Chamber Singers. And we were singing at a, an, a conference in Chicago, a big choral conference. And um, I was standing beside somebody who was the soloist for a, a piece that was being sung and singing my choral part. And, and again, as I mentioned, I'm, I tend to be a, a very self-conscious, nervous performer. And... Um, and she had a bug, a virus at that time, and she started coughing in, you know, in the middle of this solo. She took a breath in and couldn't sing the next phrase. And without thinking, I sang the solo. You know, I really had no, <laughs> no idea if that was appropriate. It was, instinct- it was an instinctive move um, and sang one phrase of her solo, She caught her breath and came back in on the next phrase and um, I was not nervous. I just felt like what needed to happen in that moment. Um, The conductor didn't notice, it turns out, after, which made me extremely um, proud because it meant that uh, it was was somehow the right thing to do and it was an instinctive move. There was no ego involved, which I think um, is the, the interesting thing about nerves is that uh, that's also ego. So some, some, some might think that, uh, when you're an overconfident performer or somebody that's very confident on the stage, that means you have a, a big ego, but I, I would, um, suggest that, you know, nervous performers, it's, it's also ego. It's the flip side of that same coin. So I was really proud that I was able to transcend my own ego in that moment and do what needed to happen. Um, and that it was not noticeable by the conductor. Mind you, perhaps he wasn't paying very close attention mm-hmm. at that moment. But I think that's one of my proudest moments was was being able to do that. Um, certainly, there are only a handful of times where I really feel like I have uh, performed myself myself. Um, to the best of my ability, you know, how you have those moments at home where you know you're capable of something and you're often disappointed because when you perform, it doesn't measure up to what you know you could do at home. And so it's always very hard to respond to people who are saying that was that was amazing to say thank you instead of qualify it with, well, geez, you know, I, I could have done it better if you were in my living room right. at home. You know, I'm sure you know what that's like. Yeah. Um, uh, but musically speaking, most of my other proud moments are... Groups that I've been directing that have, um, that have, you know, done really well. And again, the criteria is not necessarily what one would expect. Um, it becomes different when you're with them week in, week out, and you know, uh, you know what their struggles are. You know what they're, um, what they're, up against. And when you hear them do something or you see them accomplish something that has been a challenge for them that's a really proud moment and it's often very private. I say private when you have a group of 65 kids singing, it doesn't feel very private, but it's between um, all of us that that moment occurs and it's something that maybe the audience is completely oblivious of, uh, but but we all know what has gone into getting to that point and uh, and that's a pretty beautiful thing to, to be a part of.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the moments that that sort of comes to mind that I'm really curious uh, to talk to you about is the fireworks choir mm. this past summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was I'm so glad that I got to be a part of that and to to be a part of it with my family. We were all there and to participate in this community you'll be able to describe it much better participate in in the community choir that the music was sent out to everybody in advance and we all met at the venue three hours before showtime Mm -hmm. to rehearse and then the doors were opened and it was performed
1: that's the one of the most beautiful moments of community and how again as we were discussing music can be such a metaphor for um for a bunch of different things and uh that was significant for me because um well we had i think there were 420 singers that had signed up for for that and it was a huge leap of trust on everybody's Part I think when I when I look back at what people were willing to um, sign up for, kind of just trusting that it would it would be okay. There were a lot of people who had never sung before. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of people who had never sung in a group before. But there were also people who had sung before and been told that they shouldn't sing, um, which to me was a huge leap of faith to kind of say I'm going to sign up for this thing and see what happens. And I. I'm super, super grateful that they, they they were willing to do that because I think that was part of the beauty of it was that there were experienced singers in there and there were people that had never done it before and there were people that were scarred from times where they had hoped to have a meaningful experience and ended up feeling less than.
0: Yeah. Those are heartbreaking. Those stories of people that... Well, I think as as parents... Um, and choosing, you know, for myself, choosing to become a parent later in life, mm-hmm. um, I'm grateful for the awareness that one thing that you say to somebody, to anybody, mm-hmm. uh, but to a child in particular, um, can have such a significant impact, mm-hmm. whether it's offhanded or it may be, nobody would ever remember saying it, mm-hmm. uh, but th- those, those few words can leave such a deep imprint, mm-hmm. um. But the true is the, the opposite is also true that uh, you know some words of encouragement for somebody who maybe doesn't feel like they're capable of doing something and then realizing that they can, it can change somebody's life mm-hmm. completely. yeah And yeah, to have to have that choir experience be something where people can come into it and, and feel supported by such a large group mm-hmm. um, with the confidence of yourself at the helm, uh, your enthusiasm is is contagious. Uh, in those environments and uh, around music in general uh, and that was that was a really special thing to be a part of Do um, you think it'll happen again
1: yes it will (laughs) um i talked to stephanie fisher at the capitol and the capitol were the people she she was the one that approached me to say you know if you were going to do something what would you want to do and uh and i said you know this community idea of getting as many people together to sing together as possible is is what i'd really like to do so she was incredibly supportive of of my dream of getting a lot of nelson together um the the tricky bit was the venue and the the complex the community complex was as it turns out fantastic by coincidence the fans that are typically on in the building could be turned off because it wasn't that hot that day if it had been the day before they would have had to been on the whole afternoon which meant we wouldn't have been able to hear each other and the audience wouldn't have been able to hear us so it was um all the stars had a line to make it just a, a good event i don't know that we'd have that um, that same configuration of weather and um, and no fan
2: <laughs> again mm. ever
1: and there's only one week where the community complex doesn't have ice on the floor and isn't used for things like grad. So right. we're contemplating uh, another venue, but doing it at Remembrance Day of 2019 so that the focus is then uh, some remembrance aspect, right. some peace uh, element.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that leads into a conversation around repertoire. Mm. I'm curious about a lot of your musical repertoire. Mm -hmm. Uh, The choirs that I hear performing, Corzon and uh, Solstice and Voivive, there's a a lot of world music involved in Mm -hmm. that. Is that typical of choir music? Does choir music lend itself to world music generally?
1: Well, I think it can. Um, Traditionally, it's not been where choral music has gone. It tends to be a bit of a Eurocentric Uh, format for sure i think that people when they think of um, other choral expressions that are not a european background would probably first rest on african the african choral tradition because it's so rich Mm -hmm. um, and so infectious Mm -hmm. Um, for me again i think i'm a product of my background my ethnic background and my search my lifelong search for how I fit into things and, um, that's, that's shaped who I am for sure. And, um, and it also has afforded me a little bit of, uh, a a unique, a unique, I don't know, I guess, feeling of, hmm, I don't quite know how to put this, but, um, I, I feel, I feel because I don't have a specific, uh, Culture that feels like I can pinpoint it as something that my whole that my identity is attached to um, I look for the similarities that are across the board the things that connect us as human beings and then also the things that separate us the things that make us unique and different um, so I tend to look for uh, ways that feel like. Socially, they, we find that common thread through different cultures. Um, I think that more and more choirs are doing that kind of thing now. Uh, the tricky bit is that it's really something you need to be aware of all the time, um, uh, the, the conversation about appropriation
2: mm. and
1: how to respectfully um, sing music in another language uh, from another culture, and pay tribute to that culture without overstepping and feeling like that is you're trying to represent somebody whose voice you don't have. So, um, I think as long as you approach things from from that perspective, then um, then you are pretty much guaranteed that you're going to be respectful of those cultures, and that's what. I try to do to the best of my ability, uh, but I'm I'm just fascinated by languages. I've always been fascinated by languages. My father was a college teacher of French and Spanish. Um, it seems to be a familial uh, a familial love. My sister speaks Japanese, French, and Spanish. I diversified to the point of not really knowing much about any language, but just a tiny bit about many many languages. Mm. And um, linguistically, I'm absolutely enamored of The sounds of different languages so um, to me also that is a huge gift to give to um, young people the idea that if they feel another person's language when they're singing if they feel those those words in their mouth then it's a lot easier not to be afraid when you hear um, somebody from a different culture speaking a different language when you don't understand something if you're familiar with the sounds or at least if you're familiar with hearing different sounds it's a lot easier to be unafraid. And Mm -hmm. I think that fear is such, um, so much the underpinning of so much that divides us as people, that the less fear that we can um, have, the better off we're all going to be.
0: Absolutely. Do you know how many languages you have sang in?
1: For me, I don't. Um, the, The recordings that I've done myself, the solo stuff that I've done, I would say they're at least... Um at least ten, but in the context of my professional career as a singer, there have been a lot more uh, and it's it's really interesting to figure out the ones that feel natural to to do as a as an individual and the ones that feel like a struggle i I know for a lot of people German because English is a Germanic language. German is not that difficult for people, but I have found that one um one of the more difficult ones, Russian. I have a friend that helped me with a Russian song on the last C D and I'll be darned if I if I couldn't hear the difference between what she was saying and what I was saying. And that's that's a different thing for me. Usually I find it quite easy to to um to make the sounds of different languages. I had a a friend who helped me with a Persian translation and and his comment was that um that he would think I he would have thought I was a uh, a native speaker of the language, and that goes for French and Spanish. Often when I sing those languages, I'll have people come up and um, speak to me in those languages after, mm-hmm. and I have to admit that uh, that I'm not nearly so proficient as the singing would have them believe. <laughs> um, but there are certainly, certainly languages that feel a lot more intuitive than others, and I, I find that fascinating as well.
0: Mm-hmm. You talked about your mm-hmm. solo recordings. Mm-hmm. You said you have two. Mm -hmm. There was one from 2007 that you called Resonance. Mm -hmm. Is there a a bit of a story behind that or how that came to be, where that was done?
1: It was, um, both of them were Dawn's arrangements of songs that I had chosen. So again, they're they're folk songs from around the world, both CDs are. Um, And again, that agenda is basically to connect us all as human beings and um, and acknowledge that most songs that are folk songs have thematic um, threads that seem to be universal. So songs about love, songs about loss. Um, And uh, they were, the first recording was were songs that I had known for a long time. And the second one were songs that uh, that I didn't know so well and was wanting to explore further with uh, with people that were friends that spoke those languages. So I was really lucky to have um, language coaches on each of those CDs to help me with, with the linguistic element of those ones.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I noticed as I was listening to some of them last night that uh, musically the arrangements are... Quite sparse. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of orchestral arrangements or uh, or things like that. Was that Don that was mm-hmm. making those decisions on how those should be presented?
1: Largely, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's quite masterful at arranging. And again, I think it's so incredible to me that he's so sensitive and respectful of the fact that these are from different cultures, uh, and he has this amazing ability to create a palette that's respectful of that culture without mimicking that culture, and, and sometimes to, to diverge in a way that is maybe not quite so obvious, but use um, colors and instruments that are from a different part of the world on, say, for example, a, a French song he used, um, which is a Finnish instrument, Uh, to provide an ostinato through a French folk song, uh, Un un Canadien Errant, um, which I thought was beautiful, and people don't realize, and it it fits really beautifully, um, but it's not often that you would hear a Finnish folk instrument in a French folk song.
0: (laughs) Right. And who played the instruments for those recordings? Don did. All of them.
1: Well, there were guest artists, for sure. There was... um, uh, a beautiful guitar player on the first album, a good friend of mine, Bill Bridges, who is a fantastic musician, who's been around everywhere it seems, um, you know, doing uh, music for the past fifty years. He's he's now pushing seventy, I guess, and uh, he's a brilliant musician. So there were guest artists that uh, that did a lot of things in the first album, not so much in the second. That was almost exclusively mm. Don, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Are there any pieces of music from the albums that you would like to highlight or to have me play specifically that you wanted to talk about that touched you or, or felt, you felt strongly about?
1: hmm I think that on the second CD, there's a Kurt Vile song called Yukali. And that one for me is significant because it kind of transcends genre. It's something that classical singers have certainly sung, but Kurt Weill um, wrote in a more sort of popular slash cabaret style. So um, it's a piece to me that speaks to a wide spectrum of possibilities as a performer and allowed me to to sing it in a way that felt uh, resonant for me, but at the same time, Allowed me to explore some of my uh, range, which sometimes folk songs uh, are very limited in range, and this one is not really a folk song. It's a composition by Kurt Feil which meant that it had a lot of uh, of opportunity to really stretch out range-wise, and I I really enjoyed that.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Et au gré de l'onde Mais conduisit un jour L'île est toute petite Mais la fée qui l'habite Gentiment nous invite A en faire le tour C'est l'espérance qui est au cœur de tous les humains.
1: Et la vie nous entraîne, la sainte quotidienne. Mais la pauvre âme humaine
3: cherche un partout l'oubli pour quitter la terre. Se trouver le mystère où nos rêves se tairent en quelques Yukali.
0: Sitting here in your home uh, with a beautiful view of kootenai Lake, and uh, it, it must be a very inspiring place for you. Do you write music as well?
1: I arrange music. I don't write so much. I think it's one of those situations where Don is so darn good at it that it kind of feels—I um, don't know if it's a laziness or it's just. A, A willingness to let somebody be brilliant at what they're brilliant at and, and leave lots of space around that. But I think because Don is so good at composing, it's not something that I've ever really, uh, thought to do much of. I am doing a project though in February that, um, that I'm writing some of the music for, and that's pretty exciting. Don's also writing music for it. Um, uh, and, uh, Yeah, so it'll all be original music, either his or mine, that we do in this project, which Mm -hmm. is great.
0: And do you play other instruments?
1: I play piano after (laughs) a fashion. And as I mentioned before, I've played clarinet, although I haven't touched that at all. I grew up playing violin as well. I played it for 10 years. So I I think my instrumental... capacity kind of mirrors my linguistic abilities it's a little bit of everything a jack of all trades and master of absolutely none mm. yeah
0: when you're writing music do you do it as a as a notation are you writing it out yes yeah
1: yeah and usually from the piano
0: and that comes back to your university training yes for music yeah right i did uh i went to college after high school um Somewhat similarly, not really sure what I wanted to do, but I played guitar and we had a band and there was a music program, so I, I applied and got in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my first foray out into the world outside of my hometown. So I feel like I missed out on the fa- on the opportunity to really dive into learning music mm-hmm. and chose instead to really dive into being social mm-hmm. uh, and meeting people. And I, I I would love to go back and soak up so much more the the instructors were you know just so good Mm -hmm. and so thorough they were they were resources that were right there Mm -hmm. that I could have just been tapping into and uh, I I wish I had that time and that place back to Mm -hmm. to dive into that and I you also talked about how you felt classical music sort of hemmed you in a little bit and felt very uh, constrictive is Mm -hmm. that fair Mm -hmm. and Part of my musical growth, I found the same thing as I started to learn theory. Mm-hmm. It was like, once I started to l- learn the rules, those were the rules. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel bound by the rules, but understanding that they were there, it was like, oh, well, we're in this key, so mm-hmm. these are the chords. Mm-hmm. And it sort of sidetracked my, the, that natural curiosity of what does it sound like if I just do this? Yes. Without knowing about that. Yeah. Uh, and I've watched my, my youngest daughter playing the piano mm-hmm. and she didn't want to take lessons. And, and when I'm listening to her, just feel free on the instrument. I thought, you know, Jimi Hendrix studied under all these things, but he did things his own way. Mm-hmm. And all these people that have done things and brought new things to the, to the table have done things their own way. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get in her way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've been trying ever since I, I had the, the capacity to understand that, Oh, that is, that has limited me how do I get out of that? And it's sort of like, I'm dragging this anvil around with me of of knowledge, which is great, but I've lost, I feel like I've lost something in that. spontaneity. yeah. Yeah.
1: I I understand completely what you're saying. And and I think this is something that we all struggle with as artists is that where is that line between the, um, the knowledge of the technique helping you and hindering you and i think don and i are a perfect example of that i feel really quite liberated because i don't um although i have you know had theory i I know what's going on compositionally i have no clue where i see don he's got the perfect balance of creativity and spontaneity and all of this wealth of background about why it's working you know so he's able to to, to To go between those two halves of him, where he understands what it is he's doing, but he's not limited by it. Mm. Um, I also, when I when I sit down to arrange, I don't think technically at all, even though I have that background. I play. I just see what sounds good with what else uh, is going on, and I think that freedom um, was gifted to me by being in Nelson. I think that when I was in Vancouver, if I'd stayed there and I'd started directing choirs there where there are many, many other choirs and you're constantly comparing what you're doing with other people who are maybe doing it at a different level, at a higher level, who have been doing it for longer, I think that's when it gets really dicey how your relationship with right and wrong goes. Because I was in Nelson and um, nobody else was really doing choirs, uh, I felt completely free to to figure out how I was going to do this. It was the most beautiful gift. And also because I had limitations. Uh, for example, the first few years that I that I did choir, I think there were five boys in the group. And so what do you do with um, traditionally arranged music when your configuration of singers doesn't provide what you need in order to be able to do that well? And And as much as I understand that... Uh, singing in choirs is a social um, activity that it is growing people um, to be community members and to understand what it is to be about community I, I labor under no false assumptions that I don't want it to sound good as well so I, I, you know it's not all about just how we can figure out how to be good community members I would like the product to be something that is inspiring as well musically and um, artistically nurturing for the for the people in the group um, so bearing that in mind, it meant that I needed to be creative. I needed to figure out how to write things for the group, how to arrange songs for the group that would play to their strengths. Um, and in so doing, it meant that I got to experiment. I got to throw the technical handbook out and start to really understand who was in my groups and how to how to arrange things for the people that were in front of me. And I, I cannot underestimate how... Influential that was for me as a creative artist and also as somebody who um then began to understand how important again going back to the metaphor how important it was to address even in a group the individuals that you have and understand that there's a group dynamic but you also need to you need to tap into what individuals are experiencing and who they are and that also helped me to understand that um In an environment where blend and uniformity of sound and expression have been the the hallmarks, that maybe there's another way to negotiate that relationship and have a blend come from um, a place where you don't sacrifice any any of your individuality. You just figure out how your individual sound connects with the person beside you and find that common. That common edge, so you can blend those edges and still retain who you are. And I, I think that's uh, a little different than maybe the traditional idea of what choral singing might be.
0: Neat. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about how do you choose the music for either the choirs or your own personal stuff? Obviously, mm-hmm. you've got you've been exposed to a lot of music through your career. Uh, where where do you find music that inspires you to to bring to these? different elements?
1: That's a good question. I think that probably, um, a lot of the success of a director for choirs is, lies in what repertoire is chosen. At least that's my personal feeling. And I, I believe that, uh, the director needs to be passionate about that repertoire. And if they're not, then it's not going to resonate for anybody. Um, for me, the The places that I look are are anywhere. I'm listening constantly to whatever it is, and there's a portion of my brain, I think, that's always devoted to, um, is this something that could connect with one of my groups? So whatever I'm listening to, it's kind of an occupational hazard that I'm listening mostly to lyrics to see what is the message of this song. Is this something that feels like it could connect with one of my groups? Um, Does the music lend itself well to singing in a group? Uh, so, the answer is that i 'm constantly listening with an ear to figure out what might work for a group singing mm-hmm. environment um, and that the repertoire is largely what is the message and um, For me, it needs to have a message, but it needs to be not so on the nose as to be trite so uh, when i when I listen to other groups sing i I find that um I'm really careful about not crossing that line where the message is so on the nose or so heavy-handed that it feels trite. Um, That, again, the metaphor extends so that you acknowledge that an audience may listen to it and be actually intelligent enough to connect their own dots and find the meaning that resonates for them within a larger metaphor rather than needing to point out very obvious things
0: to sing is there is there a room in your home that you find this spot facing in this direction you hear better or Mm -hmm. uh is it you know while you're cooking or while you're cleaning or like everywhere that that you feel inspired to hear the sound of your voice
1: (laughs) i i don't know that i can really accurately answer that question um I think the place that I've enjoyed singing most has been uh, in bed with my children when they were young. That's the place that I think I've felt the most at ease. Um, There's no place in the house that I choose to sing over another. Maybe the bathroom. Actually, the bathtub. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the bathtub. If I had to choose a place, it would be the bathtub. But it kind of exists alongside... Um, everything else and and as i'm sure you're aware when you have a life that's multi-leveled multifaceted where you're needing to be uh, a multitasking type person these things kind of exist alongside or over top of other activities that you might be doing and um i don't have an office i don't have a studio that i go to so everything is kind of wherever i happen to be at the time Mm. um yeah,
0: yeah. it's different for guitar players. Playing guitar in the bathtub is...
1: Not so advised. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I'd like to see if you have any advice for people that are uh, A singers or aspiring singers uh, and also on a professional level. Um, advice for being a professional musician.
1: Hmm. Well I think my advice for people who are... I think it's probably the same for both people who are aspiring and people who are professional or aspiring to be professional and people who are just aspiring to sing is to um, remember that your dream to be uh, an artist doesn't need to be confined to what you might think the the definition of a successful artist might be. For example, as a singer it may feel like the be all end all is to be famous, for lack of a better word, or successful on the stage. And I guess my advice to everyone would be the same as when I have spoken to my children is, that it is to realize that dreams are fantastic and necessary and shouldn't be underestimated, that they can change as you go. My, my 70-year-old son asked me just, I think, two days ago, when you were little, what did you want to be? And You know, we were talking about how uh, he said, did you know you wanted to be a choral director? And I said, absolutely not. I didn't even know what that was when I was young. Um, But that as you go through your life, the dreams that are pointing you in one direction may actually end up providing a path that you didn't know existed eventually. So that although your dream might be to be a successful singer, that may be only the thing that points you to the side path that you didn't know existed and Mm. that that is equally as successful and that to be a professional musician does not necessarily mean um, a professional performer all the time and most people that are successful professional musicians that I know uh, perform sometimes and teach other times and create beautiful works of art the success might not be what you originally thought it would look like um, but that your criteria for what is successful for you needs to be individual and flexible.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really good advice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, uh, when this, the idea for this podcast came up, uh, it intimidated me mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure if I would be able to do it or what it would even look like. And I've, i found comfort in, not knowing Mm -hmm. and just letting it sort of unfold and, and knowing that it was mine, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no pressure from anybody else except me. Mm -hmm. And if I can take the pressure off, then it should just be fun. Uh, But to, to, to do that very first episode um, and have, you know, a finished episode and then turn around and go, now, what do I do with it? Like, how do I make it a podcast and not Mm -hmm. just something that I've put together? And, um, and I, I felt like, you know, success was measured with, the first email that I sent out to see if somebody would be interested in, in participating in the, in the podcast. Uh, and then it was, you know, arranging the time and sitting down and, and completing an interview. And then it was, you know, hitting that last enter button to put it out to the world. And, uh, it's, it's scary, in a in a really wonderful way. Mm-hmm. And, and just to, Let it unfold. Like I was saying, you know, with watching, I don't try to figure out mystery movies. It's so much more fun to just let them unfold and be surprised in the end. Yeah. Um, What sort of things are you working on right now?
1: Well, the biggest thing is this project that I mentioned that I'm doing at the Capitol Theater in February. It's called um, Quintessence. And the subtitle is One Hero's Journey. And I think I'm very clever because, <laughs> because the uh, one of the lead characters in this project is Hiromoto Ida, and he goes by hero. And so the idea is that it's you know one hero's journey, but it's also H-E-R-O um, rather than the H-I-R-O. Um, and the concept for that is that we are all the heroes in our own story, and that we all need to embark on a path which is one of self-discovery and can have huge pitfalls and sometimes anxiety and depression, especially given um, the political climate and the actual climate right now with climate change and, um, and things that feel very, very large uh, for all of us, not just uh, not just young people. Um, I think that's a natural thing is to, to think about the next generation and what kind of legacy we're leaving them. Um, But also, how how it affects us. For example, this last summer with the forest fires and the smoke, and how pervasive the 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 atmosphere of lethargy and sort of this low level depressive sort of um, environment seems to be when when the air is hard to breathe and when politics south of the border seem to be so divisive and um, and terrifying as far as I'm concerned. How do we negotiate our environment so that we can feel like we're still part of community, that we don't lose hope, and that we actually rise above things? And so the idea is that um, Hero represents each one of us. So he's one person, but he's all of us. And that moment when you lose hope, when you feel like that nothing can restore you to a hopeful Feeling again that it's it's you ultimately who has to take that first step and remind yourself what what hope is and uh, the project uses my oldest group Laline as the chorus for this storyline of Hero and they represent the four elements earth water wind and fire and Hero needs to. Um, negotiate these four elements to reach the fifth element quintessence which is a rising above of all of the suffering that is prevalent in the world right now um and that upon reaching quintessence um where it might be one of those things where you uh, transcend your earthly bonds as it were um you know the 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 possibility then exists that you can sit on some mountaintop and meditate for the rest of your life and be one with the universe but how does that how does that translate to community and how do we then gift what we know to other people or help them navigate their paths so that's why it's the hero's journey is because um, in traditional uh, thoughts of what a hero's path is you need to go out you need to conquer whatever it is that is your dragon and you need to return then and gift what you've learned to a village or a person or something like that so at the end of this project um, after this moment of transcendence uh, and hero and hope I play hope and hero plays the hero um, come back and gift then to somebody else who is in that same place that hero started the journey of hopelessness um gift them the the idea that they actually have the answers within them that they need to do the path themselves and that all a teacher can do all a mentor can do is to point out the pitfalls and the dangers but that the journey ultimately is each our own and we need to be proactive about it
0: mhm and you've you've overcome your own challenges along the way uh and and you've you've, you've created what what looks like a beautiful life here in Nelson, and you've touched a lot of people, uh, both with your leadership and uh, within the choirs and the uh, the theatrical community, uh, and with a lot of young people along the way. I know that uh, you were the director of one of the the homeschool plays, and uh, you know, your your energy is positive and it's infectious. And I think that a lot of people have have had a greater awareness of what they're capable of. Uh, In small part, thanks to yourself.
1: Mm, Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Very
1: very kind words. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate you having me over and uh, giving me the time to sit down and chat with you and get to know you better. And I look really forward to seeing all these things that are coming up in the future. Uh, More choirs, more theater. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right.
1: (laughs) Now the dog's lying down. Yeah, (laughs) that's all right.
0: (laughs) Next up, I wanted to feature another small conversation that I had with a fellow who has been a part of one of Allison's choirs, that's Corazon, and has taken that experience and the confidence that he's gained from that and started to turn it into leadership roles in a number of different other ways in the music community. And I wanted to share a little bit of that conversation that I had recently with Tyler James. Tyler, um... I want to say thank you for having me over to your space here to sit down and have a chat and catch up and see what's new in in the world of Tyler James, of course, yeah uh, so um, not long ago, I was sitting down and I had a conversation with Allison Gervan, mm-hmm. and we were talking about uh, all of the different projects that she's involved in, uh, both musical and theatrical, and uh, of course, your name came up, and uh, you've you've had. Uh, an ongoing sort of professional relationship with Allison for quite a while now. Is that right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah about 10 years, nine years. I lost, <laughs> lost count. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that came up through your participation in her choir. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. Great. And, and did you work your way up through different ages of choirs that she was involved with?
4: No, I actually, I came pretty late to, uh, to Corazon. I joined in grade 11 and, uh, and, and, and maybe grade 10, but you know, the, the starting age was 13. And, uh, at this point, you know, most of my friends had already been in Corazon for, for a few years. Mm. And I, so I joined because, you know, the people I knew were, were in it and I was interested in singing.
0: Right. And did you, you were singing prior to that or you were just found an interest in singing?
4: Yeah. I'd been kind of doing my own thing. Um, I was in high school and and middle school, I was kind of doing the, the singer songwriter thing. And, you know, I, I started actually, I was uh, recording uh, just acoustic covers and, and throwing them up on YouTube and mm. posting them on Facebook. And people were like, whoa, I had no idea you could sing. Mm. Um, so that was kind of how I you know, started getting interested in it.
3: Well, there ain't nobody left to impress. And
4: everyone's kissing their own hand. The six, six, six on the kitchen floor, there ain't
2: no fire in the pan, I get
4: lonesome. And then I actually joined a men's uh, barbershop group um, yeah. the year before I joined Corazon because I didn't have the nerve to audition for Corazon that year. Um, so I, you know, I jumped on this this other thing instead, because one of my teachers at high school was in the group and was like, well, you know, if you, if you want to sing choir, then, then you should come sing barbershop with me and the guys. So it was, you know, an average age in the group of, of probably 50. And then I was the young, the one young
0: guy. Right. I came to be aware of you through the choirs Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know you were you were a person who had a very strong voice a very distinct voice in the choirs uh and a very big smile it seems like that's something that uh that that brings you a lot of joy obviously right yeah and now you're you're you've you've grown into a number of different roles in the music community uh as a as a member of of a band a garage rock band called Saint Mountain mm-hmm. how long have you been around uh with that group that's been
4: it's earliest uh it's it's earliest sort of incarnation was three or or four years ago around three years ago um i basically agreed to 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 jam with a friend who had written a bunch of songs on his acoustic guitar and it slowly morphed into a punk band
0: Mm -hmm. and you're playing bass is that right yeah yeah And then still working with the, uh, with Allison's choirs, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the one that you're singing with uh, is the oldest group of people um, that cuts off at age 25. Is that right? Uh, there's not really,
4: I don't know. It's, there's not really an, like a hard cutoff, I mm. think, um, may, and may like, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a, a youth choir is kind of the, the vibe, right. Or a youth vocal ensemble, mm. but um, like even last year i think the the oldest singer in the group was 28 or something like that 29 mm. um so that i think the top range kind of has kind of fluctuated and uh certainly the longer i've managed to uh, to cling to the group um the longer i've been a, a part of it the i think it, it you know more and more people are comfortable staying mm. longer uh whereas you know maybe when i was first you know getting into my 20s or, or when i was in college um there were folks who were around my age who were like well you know like maybe i'm getting a little bit too old for corazon and now it's you know i'm 25 and i'm, yeah. I'm still there and, and doing all sorts of extra stuff and and lots of my peers are, are still part of the group as well mm-hmm. um and that's with that's because of laline which uh i, I don't know kind of how in depth the, into the the structure of, of the choirs you got with Allison, but Laleen is, is, the oldest group, but just, just about everybody in Laleen is also in Corazon.
0: Right. Okay. Now I know that, um, all of those choirs have sort of a mentorship process where there's people that, uh, that, that join in, uh, you know, they'll move on to a, an older group choir, but mm-hmm. still come back and sort of be present with some of the younger members of the, the choir that they're moving up from. Yeah. And you did that as well.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually mentor in, in all of the, the younger groups, except for, except for Kathleen Newdorf's group, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the youngest, well now the second youngest age group, I guess, but, uh, but in, in Voiviv and Solstice, um, which are the two below Corazon's age group, uh, I meant, I have a mentorship role. Um, and in, in Solstice, in Solstice, it's kind of specifically with the the guys because uh, the original uh, solstice's original incarnation was as a as a treble um choir, and I think it was a lot of that was it was due to how many young girls in Nelson wanted to sing in a group, and mm-hmm. there wasn't space for everybody in Corazon, and Corazon's age limit got higher. it went from 13 to 15. So it sort of displaced more of these these you know uh, these young young women and girls who had fa- fabulous voices but but nowhere to use them. So Solstice started as a, specifically a treble voice choir, um, but there were some boys in it whose voices hadn't changed. Um, last year I was brought in because there were two boys whose voices had changed, um, and and obviously it, uh, it it takes some some getting used to when you're you know you had a. Uh, a high boys voice. And and now all of a sudden you've got this whole new register to to navigate. So Mm -hmm. I, that's when I came in last year and then this year, the role, my role has, has increased because there are like six, six boys in the group with changed voices. Um, So I'm, I'm there to, you know, kind of shepherd that process for them. And and we do sectionals. Um, Every rehearsal we'll split off and I'll, I'll take the guys with me and uh, we just kind of work on, on, you know, figuring out what it means to have this new lower, lower voice to work with. Right.
0: And, and lower sometimes <laughs> it, right? <laughs> it seems to, that, that's a, that's a challenging age yeah. uh, for a man's voice. And, absolutely. And, and I think that it's probably really, uh, really a positive experience for them to have somebody like yourself to, to sort of be a mentor through that and keep them, you know, confident. I hope so abilities. Yeah. Uh, now you did mention that, uh, Kathleen's is the second youngest choir. Mm-hmm. Um, you are heading up the fireflies choir. Yeah. And what age group is that? So the
4: age group is four to six. Yeah. Um, but they come in with a parent. Often what I find is that, uh, I, I think the parents, you know, get su- just as much joy out of, uh, uh, you know, singing, uh, with their child or their children, um, in this environment, uh, as the kids do. So Mm -hmm. I find that it's super valuable for for the parents as well.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of uh, an event, uh, a group that has, has hosted their event out here in the Kootenays and they host them all around the province. Uh, It's an organization called Jam Camp. And uh, I've spoken to the directors of Jam Camp about, uh, you know, coming on the podcast, so that'll be a future episode. But oh, sweet. Uh, in, in, in to sum it up, it's a camp. It's a week long camp that they come and facilitate for families, and the families will come in and, and be exposed to and given the opportunity to try new instruments uh, every day and try try their hand at you know maybe mandolin or banjo or violin or trumpet or drums. There's <laughs> there's so many different things that come on and. You know, I've seen a lot of parents, I've I've been fortunate enough to be a facilitator for Jam Camp a few times, and I've seen a lot of parents come to Jam Camp and they sort of have that same, oh, well, I'm just here, you know, because my kid's interested in music, and it's like, here, try a strum stick. Right. And I go, what's that? And it's like, well, it's really easy. You do this, this, and this. And just to kind of watch those those moments for people who have had um, either no experience with music or people who've had negative experiences or, or you know, things that have shut them out right. of being musical that they've just never, you know, considered that they could ever go back to, to being creative like that. And those are, those are neat moments to see people come into, Oh, Hey, I can do this. Yeah. Maybe I want to do this
4: more. <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. Really cool. And that happens, you know, that's, it's the same, that's kind of the same energy that, that I've seen in, in Fireflies, hmm. um, you know, is parents who uh, there's, there's one, there's one parent this uh, year who, you know, played, uh played i think classical uh piano and uh and 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 is kind of not familiar with with uh you know a less structured sort of musical environment so this you know circle singing and super um you know just low pressure Mm. let's just chill out and, and and sing some songs together uh has been has been you know a different very different experience with music than than maybe
0: what they're used to yeah That's great. And I guess uh, you sort of get to take your experience facilitating that group with young children and with parents um, probably translates nicely uh, for your role as the musical director with the Christmas pantomimes at the Capitol Theater. Yeah. 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 (laughs) How's that going? That's uh, in full swing, I imagine, at this point of the year.
4: Yeah, it's kind of crunch time uh, at this point. And uh, I mean, as I'm, I'm sure you remember, you were involved last year, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, by the the last few weeks, things start to, to really feel real and, and the pressure is there. And, and, and you can see, uh, you know, the pressure and the, 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 the performers are feeling the pressure just as much as the, as the directors are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts right now.
0: Right. And can you maybe share with us a little bit uh, what this performance is going to be? Yeah, so
4: this so this year's uh pantomime is uh Lori Jarvis wrote the script. She's kinda back in the back in the panto fold after, you know, a few years out of the game. Mm. Um so she came in and, and she's written uh Cinder Allen, which is basically, you know, kind of the story of Cinderella, but it's reversed so it's you know, Allen is this this young boy and uh and you know, now he's got this this Uh, evil stepmother and and some some wicked stepbrothers to contend with Mm -hmm. um yeah it's been it's been super fun kind of you know a little bit of subversion of the of the cinderella tropes as as is super common in in a pantomime yes
0: yeah i'm looking forward to it uh what what are the dates that that show is going to be running this year so,
4: it's the, uh, it's the last weekend of November slash the first weekend of December. Okay. So, I think, it's the, I think the 29th and the 30th are the, the Thursday-Friday, mm-hmm. and the first and the second are the Saturday-Sunday. Right. But I'm not totally sure. Uh, but basically, the Thursday and the Friday uh, have evening shows, the Saturday has a matinee and an evening, and then there's a matinee on the Sunday as well.
0: Right. Right. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, we're going to be there for the opening night on Great.
4: Thursday. Well, I will be in the band this year, so you'll you'll see me on the stage this time. What are you doing in the band this year? I'm playing bass. Okay. Yeah. And uh, a little bit of ukulele as well, mm. um which is certainly not a primary instrument for me, but Yeah. but uh, I've I just kind of, you know, threw myself into into that one cuz uh, we had a we had, you know, a smaller band uh this year. Last year we kind of had a full guitar, bass, drums, thing going on. This year we have a, a, a pianist and a percussionist, um, so I, you know, just kind of throw myself, thrown myself in to play some some random instruments
0: where they're needed. Great, oh, that'll be fun. Uh, so the pantos coming up at the end of this month. Um, for those of you that don't have tickets, you should run out and get them. They'll be available through the Capitol Theater. And uh again, these are these are a lot of fun. These are somewhat interactive shows with the audience, mm-hmm. uh encouraging people to cheer and boo and uh and be part of the show itself. Uh, I guess is is there anything else happening in your world of music at this point that you'd like to share? I
4: mean, uh I just got done doing the uh the auditions for the Kootenai Home Educators play. Uh, um, yeah. I don't know if we want to get into that, but but sure. it's uh it's been you know super fun to, to facilitate an entire audition process, which is not something I've ever done before. Um, I'm certainly part of the auditions uh, with the pantomime Mm -hmm. um, and I have been. Um, So I'm used to kind of the vocal, the vocal side of auditioning and and that sort of thing. But, but, you know, having this group of, of all children, some of which have never been to an audition before and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, also doing the theater games and, and, and the focus stuff and, and talking about the roles and and facilitating the whole process um, was different. Right. Um,
0: and super fun. And that's because you're the director of the KHE play this year.
4: Yeah. So I've been brought in as the community director right. um, of the KHE play. And, and last year I, I did the music last year, but I was kind of brought on a little bit late, you know, after the auditions had already happened and the show was cast, yeah. I was brought into it, uh, this year I'm, I'm,
0: you know, kind of taken on the whole, the whole project. It's great. It's going to be a lot of fun too. And Tyler, thanks again so much for your time and and, uh, and inviting me into your home here to to chat with you and catch up on all things that are happening in your musical world. You're welcome. Thanks right. for having me. Again, I must say it was a pleasure to catch up with both Allison and Tyler. And judging by everything that they're doing, I would say that the future of music in Nelson and in the Kootenays is in good hands. Now at this time, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a new project that I'm involved with. You've heard some of our music already. In the intro to each episode, in my interview with Tyler James, you heard him mention that there was a trio that he worked with at the Christmas Pantomime last year in 2017, and that trio consisted of myself, drummer Nespan Amran, and bassist Jordan Bonin. Well, the three of us enjoyed playing together for that event so much, we decided to come together afterwards and uh, see what it sounded like when we played together. Jordan was keen to play guitar, and so we were looking for a bass player. That's when I called my friend Jay Buttle. And he decided to come down the valley, and we got together and improvised some music for an evening and decided that this sounded pretty good. And then Jordan said he had a friend named Sarah Orton from the Sulker College music program that was a vocalist, and we invited her over as well. And just like that, we were a five-piece band Writing our own material, looking at booking studio time, and wondering where to go next. And so on November the 14th, we took that next step out of the garage and into a live venue, and performed all of our original material, complete with some improvised pieces. And it sounded great. Great reception, great crowd, lots of familiar faces out there, and... So, now what I'd like to do is share one of those tracks with you from that night. So, from an as yet unnamed band, here is a loosely named song Bossy Dorsa. i no, no. We had a really, really good time out there on a Wednesday night in Nelson. As you can hear, we had a great crowd and got a really fantastic response. We left there feeling really good about what we're doing with music and looking forward to the next steps, which hopefully are going to include recording and possibly releasing either an EP or an album or a single or something uh, in the early in the new year, and As I mentioned, we're as yet an unnamed band, but hopefully that's going to change. And I'm going to open the door for all of you to submit your ideas for what that band could be called. Same deal applies to the tickets we passed out at the bar. Send us your band names and let us know who you are. And if we choose the band name that you've submitted, we might just give you a free album and a big hug and you could make that submission through my Facebook page at Sound of the Kootenays Podcast and that about wraps up another episode it's a pleasure sharing these stories with you and the music to accompany them I look forward to bringing you another episode middle of December and onward into the new year Thanks so much for tuning in, wherever you are, and until we meet again, stay tuned.